Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Today I want to talk with you about Matthew 24, where Jesus offers prophetic teaching about the future of Israel to his disciples. And he also is speaking about the future of the, of the world. And the equivalent texts in Mark chapter 13 and Luke 21, and this chapter in Matthew 24, these are highly relevant scriptures for us today, and we have a lot to learn from them. They really teach disciples of Jesus an attitude towards national identity, towards institutions, organizations, material reality, that I think is very other, you know, very radical. And, um, and we really need to be schooled in it because today we live in a time when nationalism is on the rise. You know, Christian nationalism, Christians are embracing national identity and calling for the defense of their nation states or the defense of other nation states. Like right now in, um, in Russia, we have Putin who's invading Ukraine and his agenda is clearly a, a Christian, you know, Orthodox Christian nationalist agenda of trying to reunite, um, you know, is Russia with, you know, with uh, Ukraine, which for Putin is necessary for, for the greater Russia to be, you know, to be magnified. And, you know, we have the Ukrainians who have their own brand of nationalism and they're, they're fervently with the support of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, also militantly defending their nation and their sovereignty and their borders and their properties. And it's understandable because uh, here we have this superpower, Russia, that has its armies, um, you know, bombing and attacking and shooting and destroying and um, taking over land that belongs to the Ukrainian people. And it's, it's a travesty. It's, it's a crime. It's, it's evil. And clearly we um, are, you know, are just overwhelmed by the level of suffering and the threats that, um, that people are still facing right now on the ground. Um, so I don't want to minimize that. But on the other hand, um, it's really important for followers of Jesus to understand what is the attitude that we should have towards material reality, towards our national borders and our nation states. In Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away. So we see this movement away from the temple, which is interrupted when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. So the disciples, they were impressed with Israel's um, temple, you know, this sacred temple that had been constructed. It had been uh, the original temple, which had been built by Solomon, had been destroyed by the Babylonians. But this temple had been rebuilt after the Israelites uh, returned from exile. And um, it was impressive. It was an impressive, um, one of the wonders of the world. And um, Jesus isn't so impressed. Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. It's interesting that Jesus says, Do you not see all these things? You see them, but do you do you see them? You know, we see the nation states. We see the United States, France, Russia, China, you know, all of these countries of the world, whatever country we're part of. 
but do we really see them? Do we see their temporality? Do we see that they are limited? Do we see um, their brokenness? I am um, amazed by Jesus's response here. How, you know, um, truly I say to you, he says, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. So Jesus is speaking this to the disciples at a time when Israel is um, under the power of the Roman Empire. You know, they've been they've been colonized, really. They've been they have there's an occupying Roman imperial army that is um, dominating over them at that time. And and the worst is yet to come, because uh, in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed uh, Jerusalem and and there was a bloodbath and the temple of Jerusalem was completely destroyed. And so, you know, here we have that prediction and Jesus says nothing about the defense of, of this, um, of Israel, the defense of Jerusalem, the defense of the temple. Rather, he describes its, um, its destruction as an, an inevitability. And so what does that tell us um, about Jesus's understanding, you know, of, of his own nation? and of his own religion. You know, clearly there's nothing about Jesus here that could be used to, to you know, to, to as a justification for defending, you know, um, a great city, no matter what it is. And he was sitting on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the disciples apparently sort of got it here. You know, they understood Jesus to be talking about the end of the age. And and I guess his second coming, I'm not sure that they really had fully come to grips with the reality that Jesus was going to be crucified. But Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. So Jesus warns people um, right from the start here warns his disciples um, that uh, make sure that no one misleads you. In other words, um, for Jesus, that is his first order here, is be really careful that you're not led astray because uh, that's going to be the greatest threat to your faith and to the Jesus movement in the future is misleaders who are in jumping people into other agendas that are really not about the kingdom of God at all, but that are about the kingdom of this world, which is passing. And so um, misleading, how are we being misled right now? You know, what are some of the narratives that are being spoken to you, you know, about your country? You know, what are we hearing about Russia? What are we hearing about the Ukraine? You know, and what, what are some of the misleading narratives here? You know, I think one of the misleading narratives that I'm hearing is that um, the Ukrainians um, would stand to benefit from all of the Western countries joining them in a battle against Russia. I mean, here Russia is threatening to use its nuclear weapons. And yet there's this pressure, I think, that a lot of people are feeling, and certainly Ukrainians are feeling, to actually accelerate the war into uh you know, to overcome the Russian invaders. And so um, what, what are some other misleading, you know, agendas that, that are seductive agendas out there? 
Another might be that um, we can actually get Putin to back down through, you know, through pressure, through, um, you know, through a, a combination of, uh, of empowering the Ukrainian people to fight and to, uh, and to make um, there be much greater losses for the Russians and a much longer prolonged struggle, which will wear out the Russians and combined with economic sanctions will perhaps bring Putin to his demise. And so according to that scenario would, you know, supporting, you know, the, the Ukrainian resistance um, as an object, as, as with the end of, of toppling Putin, wouldn't that be at the expense of the Ukrainians? Most certainly, because um, they would be right at the front line and they are at the front line of that struggle. And so giving them weapons just, you know, just leads, is going to lead to more uh, justification for the Russians to bring about even more destruction. So, and then with the objective of perhaps toppling Putin, well, would that even work? You know, would Putin be able to um, survive this sort of, uh, all these economic sanctions and and even um, a prolonged struggle in the Ukraine? It's possible. So anyway, there are, um, there are other misleading perspectives um, about that conflict and, and certainly about our own nation state here in the United States and, and what's going to bring about real change. You know, a lot of people here in the United States believe that legislation is what's going to bring about change and getting laws in place that are going to, um, say, stop abortion. There's so many other uh, political agendas that people are fighting for. And, and I think we do need to be pushing for reform and laws are important. But to think that true change, true lasting change happens through democracy, through democratic process and through uh, or through military um, actions is, I think, fits into the category of being misled. Jesus says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. You know, um, many will come saying what they're about is the agenda of, of God. And, um, and they'll mislead many. And do we see that happening? Do you see many people being misled? Are, are you being misled? Now, here's where Jesus gets really straight up realist. You will be hearing of wars and of rumors of wars. Okay, well, that's definitely the case right now. See to it that you're not frightened. Wow, am I frightened? I have to say, when I think about the, the threat of nuclear war, you know, um, fear can enter into my heart. And yet, that's a fear that I'm very familiar with because I grew up in the 60s and the 70s when... Um, nuclear war was a real possibility all the way through the 80s. And so most of my life, the, the possibility of nuclear war was, was something that I contemplated in a graphic way. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, okay? And fear not. For nation, um, for these things must take place, Jesus says, but that's not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Wow. So Jesus does not have a positive view of the future, does he? Jesus is not seeing the future as is getting brighter and brighter through, um, you know, through progress, through 
through scientific, um, you know, uh, findings and, you know, through peacemaking efforts. I mean, all those are important. Clearly, we have to, we have to seek to be peacemakers. You know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called um, the children of God. So being peacemakers is, you know, is essential. And peacemaking should be as costly as war making has been, you know, for, you know, for military countries. You know, we, we should be willing to sacrifice in the interests of making peace. But here we see that um, that things aren't looking too good from Jesus's perspective. And even worse for followers of Jesus, it's not like we're going to be let off scot-free. You know, the nations are going to be at each other's throats. But then in verse 9, Jesus says, They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. So clearly this is talking about religious persecution. It's because of the name of Jesus that all nations will hate followers of Jesus. Or, you know, that's talking about not nation states, but you know, non-Jews, people of the world. And uh, at that time, many will fall away. Yeah, when the heat gets turned up, a lot of people are going are gonna to bail. And I think that's already happening. Many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. That's happening right around us now. I mean, never in my lifetime have I seen so much hatred directed at Christians and between Christians as well. You know, that the body of Christ is sorely divided. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Oh, and is that ever happening? And then here we have verse 12. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So here in this um, presentation that Jesus offers, this prophetic vision of the future, we're, we're, a, a period of increased lawlessness is described. And this word anomia literally means without law. And um, so lawlessness is a good translation, but you could also use the term just chaos or um you know, iniquity is, the, is a word that is often used in some of our old translations, which isn't a word that anyone uses these days. But criminality could be the word, but criminality kind of gives the idea of it just being, you know, kind of street crime or something. But when you think of the, of the high levels of corruption in, um, you know, among the rich and the powerful and, and um, you know, all of the defense industries that are just making all kinds of money right now in this in this uh, Russian invasion and the Ukrainian resistance and in any other conflict anywhere else in the world. You know, when you, when you think about the level of just, uh, you know, just the profits that are being made off of war and, um, and just how much exploitation is happening, there's, there's high level lawlessness and there's low level lawlessness. And um, anyway, do we see it increasing? Do you see lawlessness increasing on a micro level of just, uh, you know, among your own relatives in your own family? Do you see lawlessness increasing at a regional level or, or in your town or, you know, a national level or global level? I think we should be looking out for that kind of thing. 
And so Jesus says, most people's love will grow cold in the face of this increasing lawlessness. You know, the word for growing cold is the word uh, fuxo, which means cool, getting cooled by blowing, like when you would blow on a, a hot cup of soup or bowl of soup or a hot cup of coffee to, you know, to make it cooler. Um, but here it's like, it's the love that is in the place of the of the hot soup or the hot coffee. And, and we don't want the love to grow cold. But according to Jesus, this lawlessness is like, like a cool, um, a cool blowing that, um, that it's, it's going to increase and it's, and it's causing the, the heat to go down, you know, the, our love to grow cold and, and it's going to happen to most people. And how do you see that happening? Do you see that happening in your life at all? Do you see that, you know, just reading the news, um, you know, hearing about all the nasty things that are happening. Is that, um, does that have an effect like that? Does it cause your love to, to diminish and, uh, and to grow cold? I, I think it does. You know, I just think about, uh, our son who came in the other day, all upset about how someone on a subway in New York city had, um, an older or person with a cane who was, um, you know, just in the subway station, um, took a hammer and just killed a woman who was a scientist and just killed her in cold blood right there in the subway station and then got away and no one was able to find him. And, and it was just, uh, you know, we read the news and we read about these kind of, uh, just horrific events, you know, just, uh, you know, kids shooting each other, you know, uh, domestic violence where lives are, are taken, uh, invasions, you know, bombings, suicide bombings, and the effect of all the bad news that we read is, is, is agitation and, um, and hatred and fear and a lot of things that really, you know, put our, our faith at risk. You know, they diminish our faith, diminish, they certainly diminish our love. And so Jesus is saying, the one who endures to the end, that one will be saved. And the one who endures what? Well, apparently it's enduring in the face of this lawlessness, you know, hanging on to our love. Um, we want to see our love increasing. We want to see our love getting hotter in the face of all this violence and these invasions and and just the, the darkness and the sickness, you know, um, the chaos that this pandemic has brought on. So... Um, the one who endures to the end, that one will be saved. And really, Jesus here is um, is is really, really putting the priorities where they need to be. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. So the priority that we have as disciples of Jesus is the same as Jesus' original disciples. It's to avoid getting caught up in all the dramas Um caught up in the spirit of our age where, you know, the lawlessness is, is causing us to become hardened, to become fearful, to become angry, to become enraged or, or despairing and hopeless. You know, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the Christ, the savior of the world. And, um, and then we, we need to be about the preaching of the good news to the whole world and to all the nations everywhere. And that is the mission of Jesus, and that is our mission. And then the end will come. 
And so, um, so we have our work cut out for us and, um, and the end is not going to come until, until we've been fully mobilized. And so, um, let's get at it. And, uh, I've been thinking too, just about some of the other scriptures about iniquity or about lawlessness, which I want to read a couple of them because, you know, um, lawlessness needs to be dealt with. The lawlessness that we have in our own hearts is really the front line of the battle. And we need to be addressing just our own, um, you know, our own tendency to just do what is right in our own eyes. And really that's what lawlessness is. It's, it's just doing um, our own will. It's, it's, it's doing, um, being about an agenda that is not the agenda of our father in heaven. You know, the, the one who does the will of the father in heaven, um, Jesus says he, that one is my, my brother, my sister, my mother. And, um, and really discerning that the will of, of the father and listening to the voice of Jesus and being guided by the Holy spirit, that is the opposite of lawlessness. And so, uh, what do we do when we find ourselves engaged in, in lawlessness ourselves? Or, um, or we, we see other people engaged in lawlessness. And how do we call people away from that? Well, I believe repentance is one of the, the key remedies for lawlessness. You know, just uh, when the Holy Spirit convicts us and shows us our sin, we need to be quick to confess our sins. You know, Jesus, uh, or in 1 John chapter 1, it says, um, you know, walk in the light um, as he is in the light. And um, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In um, Romans chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. In Romans 6, 19 I'm going to read that as well. It's, it's, it's beautiful and it's a little bit more in depth. So Romans 6, 19. Um, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. So when we give our bodies over to, to sin, and resulting in impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, okay, this acceleration of lawlessness. So now, in contrast, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Sanctification means becoming set apart, becoming, you know, holy, being really uh, more and more in the likeness and the image of, of Jesus. Another scripture is um, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. And um, hopefully I can find it quick enough here. It's one of those hidden away books. Um, Titus 2, verse 11 reads, For the grace of God has appeared. And this is talking about, you know, the appearing of, of Jesus. Bringing salvation to all people. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. 
These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. That's Paul's, those are Paul's words to Titus. And, um, and finally, let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 5. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps sinning. And so here we see this, um, you know, Jesus is calling us to really abide, to remain, to stay in, in him, you know, united with him. And as we walk with him and as we really live in the light and we confess our sins. And um, here we are, we're going right now into this period of Lent. Um, this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, and I just want to invite you to to really consider these next days um, and weeks as an opportunity to to walk in the light and to be people that are dealing with that that lawlessness and and that sin that is that so easily entraps us, and and to be uh, militant in your battle against that through repentance and through confession and through receiving your forgiveness. And so um, let's walk in the light and be about um, announcing the gospel to all the nations, you know, while we have life and opportunity. God bless you.